<laughs> what were you going to say? No, it was that, what Something I said awful. before. I'm not, the, all the stuff that I've just said, I'm not putting in. I'm laughing at that. Oh. Hello, BM Bonners. You better not put I'm it not in. putting it in. Okay. The more you talk about it, the more I'm tempted to bring it up again. All right. Hello, BM Bonners. Uh, apologies that this episode's a little bit late this week. We went out. Uh, for a drink on Friday afternoon instead of recording. That's naughty. Yeah, a much-needed drink with our friend Pedantony and his lovely wife, Jan. But it was research. We were getting the load down on Poland. We did. So there was, I, uh, I would say that it was important Biampod research. Yes. Yes, we heard the story about there was a, a guy who had covered his car with an hour before it's dark artwork and he got the band and lucy to sign the bonnet which had the the album cover on it yeah all the stripes from an hour before that it's dark from the cover people of an know hour people know what the album cover is yeah <laughs> you don't need to explain it in minute detail if i say the cover of script for just a I was, tea, um, you don't need to then... i was painting a picture uh yeah and then he was going to auction it so <laughs> Like, no, he was going to auction just the bonnet. Yeah, just the bonnet, not the car. Which we were trying to figure out, what do you do with a car bonnet? Like, it's probably too heavy to mount on a wall. Yeah. You can't, like, prop it up on the bookshelf. You, if you've got one of those crazy restaurants that have, like, you know, canoes hanging Crazy the restaurants. Yeah, you know, the ones with a load of crazy shit on the walls. Oh, like um, Rain, Rainforest Cafe. No, that's no, 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 not like Rainforest Cafe. That's a crazy restaurant. Yes, that's got crazy shit on the walls. Exactly. But there's literally just a, a restaurant that looks like a, a rainforest with animals in. Yeah. I'm talking about restaurants like TGI's that have like kind of, uh, you know, like our downstairs toilet with a load of uh, uh, plates. license plates. Yeah, registration plates on the walls and and hubcaps and. Oh, all you that. could have like an automotive scrapyard themed restaurant you could or a meridian with like tires all around meridian vehicle themed or yeah or even just meridian themed restaurant yes what would you call it uh mm, that's a good question the h bar uh nah, the h bar <laughs> yeah i know that shit <laughs> the h bar <laughs> don't laugh what does the h stand for hungry yeah hungry oh. bar. we need to put a bit of work into that let's workshop it <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. So uh, the guy was was auctioning off the bonnet, apparently. And, yes. Um, like I said to Anthony, you know, well, let's just hope that the car was was a, a, an electric one or a hybrid or similar, not a, not a gas guzzling, uh, environmentally damaging. It doesn't matter once it's stripped of its bonnet. But I think he was just going to buy a new itself. bonnet. He was going to buy a new bonnet. Right. Yeah. I guess, anyway. yeah, you can't walk around with or drive around without a bonnet, can you? Um, don't know. Imagine how expensive it would be to ship a car bonnet. Well, yeah. Like if you want it on eBay. There are lots of questions that the, the whole auctioning of the bonnet raises. Like, would it just be cheaper to get your own bonnet? And get the band to... Uh, what's it called? Sign. Wrapped. Yeah. Yeah. Well, get I guess it sign. wouldn't have the band signatures on it, though. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's it, it's harder now in the world to find something that hasn't been signed by Marillion. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, 
it's like you know i think you, you know you see any kind of graffiti on a wall or a bridge or something generally <laughs> you'll find they've really been signatures that they've tagged their names those famous graffiti artists marillion yeah anyway um we're not here to talk about bonnets easter or otherwise i don't want to be a bonnet lovely uh, we're here to wrap up our coverage of Marbles yep. with the final three songs. We are. We are. Let's sorry sorry, it. we skipped last week and talked set lists instead, but, you know, we're it back had to on be track. Done. Had to be, it had to be done, to be honest. <laughs> it did. Yeah. Hey, by the time this has gone out, the band, or will it? I don't know. Now, the band are about to play Cruise to the Edge. I'm so jealous. I wish I was on Cruise to the Edge. Do you? You hate cruises. I know, but they've got Moon Safari there. And you I just love want Moon to go Safari. for Moon Safari, don't you? And Marillion. Yeah. They're, they're, they're the only two bands I'd be interested in seeing, and then I don't know what not, I'd do the not, rest of the time. Transatlantic, Sonia. <laughs> not Transatlantic. Uh, I'd probably go and see Transatlantic. Actually, let's have a quick look at who is playing this year. Sorry, sorry, everyone. We will get back onto Marbles in a second. So, yeah, Marillion, Alan Parsons. I like some of his stuff. I've never listened to him. Uh, Transatlantic. These are headliners of Marillion, Alan Parsons, Transatlantic. Al de Medla. I have no idea who who that is. I'm looking that up. Oh, no, sorry. Al de Miola. Well, think about your fonts, uh, Cruise to the Edge, because Albert Lawrence de Miola. I've no idea who this guy is. He began his career as a guitarist of the group Return to Forever. He's one of the headliners. I've never heard of him. What what has he done? Wow. That's really strange that he's a headliner. Well, obviously lots of people love his work. Yeah, clearly. You know, I thought I knew, you know, I may not be a big traditional prog fan, but I thought I knew everyone. Uh, yeah, because I pretty much know everyone on the next line. You've got Riverside, yep, know them. Saga, yes. who I have heard of, because they do elderly people holidays. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh. Saga holidays. Yeah, which are fe- effectively, let's face it, Cruise to the Edge will be a saga oh. holiday. You know, it's not going to be a young crowd, is it? Uh, Al Stewart, the Flower Kings, of course. I've heard of them. Yeah, well, there's the fella from... Uh, Transatlantic is in them. Adrian, oh, that's it. Adrian Bilou. <laughs> well, you can't laugh at people's surnames. I can do what I like for Free World. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, I know him because he's played with everyone, basically. Jacko Jack Zick. Uh, I have heard of the name. The Zappa Band. Okay, that's Frank Zappa's band. Hacken, yeah, know them. Pain of Salvation, know them. Wishbone Ash, obviously know them. Pro- uh, Protocol, don't know them. Martin Barr, know him. McStein, Minimum, don't know. Minimum, Minimum, don't know them. Moon Safari, whoop. Yay! We love Moon Safari. Life Signs, uh, Clone, Claudio Simonetti's Goblin, Nectar, now we're into the obscure ones. Dave Kewerton, District 97, Stu Ham, Jane Getter, Premonition, Pattern Seeking Animals, Dave Herzner. That's a good name. Pattern Seeking Animals. Pattern Seeking Animals. Oh, that is a great name. Oh, and a special performance by Justin Hayward. You, you will know him. Okay. Uh, he's the, the guy from uh, Moody Blues. Oh. Yeah, you know the Moody I've Blues? T- yeah, I've heard of the Mo- Moody Blues. You've for heard sure. of them? Yes. 
Nights in white satin. Oh, I love that song. Yeah. Nice. Oh, very early pop okay, pioneers. Okay, so that would be a cruise that we'd have a lot of free time. Well, I'd have a lot of free time. <laughs> no, I would. I, I would see the two Marillion shows. I think everyone plays twice is the idea. Oh, right. So I'd see, the, obviously, the two Marillion shows, the two Moon Safari shows. Yeah. Um, I'd go and see the Moody Blues guy. I'd definitely see the Moody Blues guy. Uh I'd go and see Alan Parsons because I have heard his yeah, name. Yeah, I like some and of his And you've stuff. mentioned him a lot. You you might be surprised by what you know. Um, I'd be curious to go to one of the Transatlantic shows. But I, I would I, have to see Transatlantic. I would reserve the right to not stick around. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, is, Riverside are gig, quite good. Are all the gigs seated? Well, no, because I think, I think what happens, don't quote me on this because obviously I haven't been. Uh, but I think sometimes they will play outside on the deck as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, or in like the atrium. They don't just play in the venue. Of course, of course, cruises aren't very environmentally friendly. But let's just leave that there. Um, <laughs> literally one of the worst forms of transport, aren't they? Uh, yeah. Yeah, for the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sonia just said that to me off mic and said, I don't want to put that in the podcast, so now I've claimed it as my own. <laughs> I thought it was an interesting point to make. Just worth flagging up, isn't it? No. It's not. It's not worth flagging up. What's more it's important? It's just being a stirrer, isn't it? Yeah, but you would go on a cruise, so you can't flag it hey, up. Otherwise, I'm, you turn into a hypocrite. I'm not saying I'm not a hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on. Moving on. The last three tracks on Marbles. Beginning with Angelina Ballerina. Yeah. Angelina Ballerina. Hey, I used to know the lead writer for Angelina Ballerina, but that's by the by. Did you? Yeah. Gail won a prize in the Angelina Ballerina magazine once. Did she? Yeah. Oh. For drawing a picture. What of <laughs> picture of a horse? Know, horse shitting. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. Wasn't that? Um, so Angelina. Yes. Do you like Angelina? It's okay. Really? I fear yeah. I fear you and I might diverge on the Oh, next do you two love songs. it? I do really like Angelina and I yeah. always have. I don't I don't dislike Angelina. I don't dislike it. But you know I like, I like it. But I do like it. Yeah, it's I don't it's like not one of my favorite songs. It's like just like a nice gentle kind of song that I'd be happy to have on in the background. I always see it as a sort of sister song to House. Oh, yeah, it so is, because it's got that kind of slow, funky, vibey, soulfully. Yeah, it feels like a very late night song. Yeah, it does. Well, that's funnily enough, that's exactly what I wrote. The way that the the, the sounds of the song, the music... Um, oh, that was a weird intake of breath. That's a really weird noise you made then. It sounded like you were swallowing a pipe. I was. Utter. My trachea. Pipe. Um, but, it, yeah, and the way H's singing is drawn out slowly, it really gives the feeling of being awake at 5am or in the middle of the night. But again, when you look at the lyrics, which we'll get into in a minute, yeah, it's... Uh, Interesting, isn't it, how they once again musically managed to capture that. I know. I think that's so clever. It's so clever. Really, yeah. And so it's like, I do like it. I would have it on. It's why I said I don't 
like love 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 it is it's not a song I would purposefully go and seek out to listen to but if it came on I'd leave it on Mm. especially if it was in the evening like you're chatting around a table with friends outside in the summertime with a fire pit on and you know having some lovely drinks and you're just ha 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 chatting and laughing well you've painted a picture of our life that is like the opposite of what our life is like Wow, that's really interesting. Um, what is this fantasy life that we have never lived that you're... It is the fantasy life where we listen to House and Angelina in the evening outside. It's a balmy summer's evening. Smarmy. It's <laughs> with a bit of smarmy in the background. We've got the mosquito zapper. Oh, no, that's killing animals, isn't it? We've oh got God, citronella what? candles that keep the... Mosquitoes and bugs away from us. We've got comfy seats. We've got brand new decking, and <laughs> this is our dream. We're <laughs> we're chatting away and having fun, and Angelina and House are playing in the background. That what well, at the was- same time? Cacophony <laughs> 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 of. <laughs> Yeah, we've got two speakers. <laughs> one is playing house, and one is playing Angelina. And, and you know, you have to choose which one you're going to focus your attention on listening to. Um, yeah, and I would love that. That That is like the perfect setting to listen to those songs in. Yes. Interestingly, isn't it? It's not really a song for a live environment. But... I mean, in a jazz club, well, at, after midnight. It doesn't get perfect played. Perfect environment. It doesn't get played generally, unless they're doing a full run through of, of marbles. But I think it's a shame because I've always really liked it live because it's got that sort of, it's slightly trancey almost yes. when they play it live. It, yes. It, it feels, so it, it's a exercise in atmosphere. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to kind of, you know, a tune that you can really sink your teeth into. But I love it for that. I, I could really see it working live. It especially does. if you want to sort of play with the energy of the room and you need something a bit more mellow, um, it would be the perfect song to drop in yeah it, it well funny enough talking about house i think it suffers a similar problem to house in that it's probably slightly too long and doesn't really evolve over the course of its running time mm. it sort of starts out with the, the that sort of very sleepy sparse jam like opening mm. <laughs> it doesn't like a sparse jam like opening <laughs> a jammy opening That's lost on me. <laughs> Sorry? That's lost on me. Okay. Some people probably... Let's just move on. Um, <laughs> a, a jammy opening. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's like a donut or something? Yes, it is like a donut. <laughs> it's, it's quite like a donut. Like when you bite into a donut? I don't know. Well, uh, I don't, don't know. want to do that. Um, <laughs> what? It's lovely thing to do. Okay, I think we need to move we on. We need to move on. Because things are sailing clearly over your head. All right. Um, uh, but I love as well how uh, it almost feels like H and Rothers are duetting. Mm. You know, you kind of get these little kind of bits of guitar followed by a bit of vocal and yeah, um, there's these sort of nice tinkling keys. Yes, it's a nice way of putting it, actually. And I think it's a great, I mean, Rothers, I don't know. I know there's that famous slightly fluffed note 
on there, which I know you have, uh, uh, don't hear. No, unless um, you point it out and say it's there. Yes, but uh, so I don't know what it was like for Rothers to record this, given that we know some of this album was quite difficult for him. But I think it's a really great song for him because mm. uh, it really sort of showcases a, a different side of his playing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, shows his versatility. And I love the fact that, you know, there is a uh, a solo on there, but it, it's sort of very different to what he normally plays. And I don't know. I, I really, really like it. It's really different to what yeah. they normally do. But it does feel in the right... It feels like it fits in the album for me. Yeah, it does. It does. Even though I don't know if it does thematically, but it it does definitely musically. Yeah. It's well, very velvety uh, and luscious, isn't it? I think it does oh, fit Oh, I wanted to ask something. Oh, sorry, say. I do. I think it does fit thematically, but we'll get to that in a minute. But oh, go on, go on, ask what you were going to ask. Okay, interesting. Um, who's the backing, the female backing oh, singer? Oh, Carrie Tree is her name. Carrie Tree. Tree. Yes. Got oh, nothing nice. more to add. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know much about it. Let's actually, I'll just quickly Google her. Uh, Carrie Tree. Oh, there she is. Uh, Carrie Tree Music. Um, about, about living on a horse livery in Wiltshire, UK singer-songwriter Carrie Tree writes and crafts her music amongst the fields and forests. Wow. She sings with an honesty a dedicated love for this earth and our human journey, touching a deep place inside the hearts of listeners. Ah. She has been a known name in Europe's acoustic music scene for many years. Hmm. Okay, there we go. Let me, before we get on to the lyrics, let me just read you what Dave Megan has to say about it. Because Megs, this is from the, the Web UK magazine. Uh, Angeline was a nice antidote because as I said before this is a very male album he's saying it again in a, and uh, as in a very male perspective so's Angelina but it's inherently a feminine sounding song we got Carrie in to sing on it to make it a touch more obvious so it was a bit of a warm relief from the intensity of the rest of it and mm. it's a kind of beautiful lyrical idea that Steve had an experience he had while driving about a radio character um, there you go now you've given away the meaning well, okay, is that... I think there's a bit more to it than that. Um, after the song was written on that Friday night, I just got everyone to play it, so we had a sketch of it, and that ended up being the final master. We added a bit on the end because we didn't have an ending, but apart from that, it's all just a single live, never-played-again version. Oh, wow. Yeah, even Get out of here. Even the mix is that original backing track with the mix that Stephen Wilson did. We put the vocals he did on top of my one, and that's how we did the final mix. Interesting. Oh, God, that's confused me. What? Well, because, you know, um, Megan was running out of time to sort of do mix the album. Right. So they they outsourced some of it to Mike Hunter and Stephen Wilson. Mm-hmm. So what they did, Stephen Wilson's version, they took his, his vocals, the production on his vocals, and put them on Dave Megan's version of the song. Ah. Oh. I yeah. see. So, uh-huh. But it was one take. I mean, that's yeah, amazing. No wonder Rothers was foaming at the mouth. I wonder if when he's listened to it since then, he cringes every time. Like, I just wish I could fix that. Maybe. I, apologies to anyone if they heard a noise from my gullet then. <laughs> what kind of noise? 
rumbling. Just rumbling, bump, rumbling bubbled. in your tumbling. Um, a rumble in my tumble. So, uh, all right. So, look. Okay, we know it's about a late night DJ in quotes. Yeah. Well, yeah. But oh. do you have Okay, more I got to that say? wrong because I thought it was a radio station. Oh, um, well, okay, well it is, isn't it? Yeah. It's... Um well, let me see what I've written about the meaning. Well, I thought the song was like another light-hearted kind of song like Cannibal Surf Babe and what can I say under the sun? Um, yeah. And then this time through its use of double meanings because they try and make it sound a bit rude. Yes. Um That's clearly what he's doing. Yeah, like Angelina takes requests. She's Lonely Man's best friend. Get off on Angelina, yeah, blah, blah, blah. That's totally what he's doing. Um, yeah, but then I took it to be a radio station that's willing to play all your favourite guilty pleasure music. Okay. Uh, but that could be wrong. And I have to say, you know, that was because he says all the classics, all the hits. Angelina, she's got it. Ultra Lounge and Acid Kitsch, which I had to look up. <laughs> and looking it up, actually discovered Marillion's Map of the World Acid Acid Kitsch. This is a tongue twister. Acid Kitsch remix from re- Remixomatosis. Yes. On Bandcamp. And it's actually really good. There you go. Yeah. How many more times can you say actually in a sentence? Actually, 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 actually. Um, you sound like you're singing Neverland then. <laughs> Actually, 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 actually. Uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, I, I don't know. I could. Is there a deeper meaning to it? Well, okay, well, let me read what H says. This is uh, his interview with the Web France from the year the album came out, which I stole off of Fraser Marshall's website. Thank you, Fraser, as always. He says, I was driving into London one day a couple of years ago. And there was a big poster up on the main road, a picture of a girl in a pair of head- headphones, a DJ from a London radio station called Capital Radio. And on the poster, it said, Margarita takes requests. And then it said the time, you know, 7.30 to 9.30 or something, Capital Radio in the FM number. And it just made me laugh because it seemed like an advert more for a prostitute than a DJ. So I was driving along thinking, Margarita takes requests every day at 7am or whatever it was. If you're down or in a mess, get on to Margarita. So I was driving along saying that to myself, laughing. I changed the name to Angelina because I thought it was nicer and more angelic. And we just tried to keep it on the edge of still being maybe about a porn star or somebody who does favours for lonely men. But at the same time, it's really a song about a DJ who just plays your favourite songs. So it's really on the edge edge between the two, which is what makes it amusing and gives it a little bit of tension. Mm -hmm. That's it. So how would you would you tie it into the theme of the rest of the album as in like with that element of escapism because he doesn't yeah. want to go to bed he wants to stay awake I you know what are you partly that, what are you trying to avoid you're trying to avoid yeah, it's the loneliness the, the it's daylight a really the loneliness lonely song. true you know lonely man's best friend oh my goodness yeah how did i not see that he's he's it so fits with the album it does it really does yeah you know, the loneliness <gasps> in ocean cloud the oh lo- my god marbles is a concept album the loneliness in you're gone there's yes. something really sad again in angelina even yes, though you're right. it's playful and cheeky and it's suggestive it's there's a sadness it's like, to it. I mean, while listening to it, I was thinking, why are you avoiding going to bed? Yeah, it's, you know, it's five a.m. Well, exactly. Why are you avoiding why going are you to avoiding bed? Avoiding going to bed—that's the question, isn't it? Mm. What really amazes me with this album is how 
brilliantly, and I'm, I'm putting this down to Megan, a lot of this, is how brilliantly he captures the emotion mm-hmm. that is clearly going on for H. Yeah. It's like he's able to see beyond this, beneath the surface, yeah. see things that, Possibly even H doesn't consciously see. Yeah, I think that's the case. And I think, he's able to pull that out yeah. without H being aware of it. I think so. Because H, it's like you know, a clever, a clever. H talking there, it's like, oh, it's just a funny song. Yeah. But as Which we he, know. But he does that quite often. And I never know whether he's doing it on purpose or whether he actually, his conscious mind is unaware of what is subconsciously being yeah. transmitted. It's like with, I mean, with writing, with any sort of writing, you always have to kind of ask, uh, you know, in my job as a scriptwriter, I always ask, like, what are the characters really saying? Mm. So there's always subtext. And I think there always is with H. And I guess Dave Megan has that ability to tune into that. Yeah, and I think that's exactly it. He, he, exactly, you've hit, on, hit the nail on the head. He tunes into H's vulnerabilities and his hurt and his sadness and his emotion and what he's really saying. Yeah. And somehow Megan manages to, to marry the music and the vocals and knows, for instance, in this, you know, this song of doing a, a more polished take would, would have stripped that emotion out of it. Mm. And, Stephen Wilson's mix is is that more polished version and I don't like it as much. I love the fluff note. I love the the looseness of this and mm. that captures that sleepiness, getting in late drunk and then just continuing to stay up, but being lonely in that it's brilliant. I think it's I think it's a underrated song mm. in Marillion's canon. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So shall we move on? All right. To let's, drilling holes. Mm-hmm. Let's drill some holes into drilling holes. Oh, well, you, you can No, fight. I like, I yeah, do like it. I was like going to say, you confided in me that you like it. I do. I really do. Yeah, again, I don't know if I'd seek it out the way in the way that I'd probably seek out Invisible Man, but if it came on, I, I do enjoy listening to it. I think it's um, a f- another fun song, clever song, musically. In that, you know, like in the beginning, they made it sound like with the rhythmic guitar strumming, mm-hmm. they made it, or maybe it was the bass. <clears throat> yeah, they made it actually sound like drilling. That's yeah, so clever. <laughs> yeah, just great. Um, love the spacey bits of the keyboard from the keyboard. Um, yeah, and just like I think Marbles is that is it their most trancey kind of album? Trancey, dancey, trancey. Because they seem to be. (laughs) Wasn't wasn't that uh, one of the Teddy Zombies? (laughs) (laughs) Trancy Dancy, Dipsy, Dipsy. Angelina, Pete. (laughs) Pete could have been a Teddy Zombie, couldn't he? He's too slim. Yeah. See him with a Teddy in his belly. (laughs) (laughs) What? From Avis Tubbies. Um, um, yeah, because there seem to be quite a few songs on the album that have that kind of spacey sound. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I know. can't remember the previous albums having a, quite as much of that. Really, on what are the songs you would say that are like that? Your Gone's got, yeah. got a drum machine, but I don't know if that class is there it as trancing. There have been spacey keyboards. Yeah. I can't remember exactly because okay. my memory is fluid. Um, <laughs> Yeah, anyway, so, yeah, musically, um, was loving that 
dancey trancey vibe of the keyboards was loving the layers of the sounds like the bird song the medieval sounding keyboard the strings and other sound effects and like sonically the only bit i don't like is the the bit where he sings ah at about it's about three minutes 45 in yeah that's the only bit that kind of jars a bit sonically for me but Mm. the rest of it love that's the sound side did you um, want to mention your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I just don't like it. Why? My, it feels contrived. Here, that's my issue. With but it. we're talking just about the music now, not the yeah, yeah, yeah. lyrics. Um, I get what they were going for. I get that they were going for that sort of Sib Barra Beatles. Beatles, yeah. You could really hear the Beatles-iness in it. XTC, who are name-checked in the song, kind of... In, very English. It's English. English sort of whimsy. Mm. Um, but the thing is with like when Floyd did it or when the Beatles did it, you know, they there was a looseness and an authenticity to it. You know, Sid Barrett, for example, you mm. know, he was literally someone with mental health issues who was probably on acid all the time. Mm. And so what, what you're hearing in those early Floyd songs is literal madness captured on on vinyl. And the rest of the band in that instance, you know, the rest of Floyd are, they're very raw musicians. You know, they're at the early stages of their career. So you're hearing stuff that as well then is also additionally shaped by the production because of the, the available hardware at the time. And so Marillion trying to capture that, it it sounds like a bunch of middle-aged guys trying to sound like beat the Beatles or early Floyd. That's and I can't get beyond that. That it, it it's for me the least authentic song on the album. And the you know, when I talked about how the, the album captures you know, true emotion and author, you know, it feels authentic throughout Marbles. And it's the one point on the album where I it loses me because it feels like it's something that's overthought, um, mm. and and you know the opposite of Angelina in that respect, where it's like one take. It was this? It 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 feels. I keep saying it feels annoying, um, but because yeah, I'm saying it feels because it. I can't say for certain because I wasn't there. Yeah, but this is this is the sense how of, it feels is, to you. This is how yeah. it feels to me that. It feels like them pretending uh, at, at the madness rather than capturing madness, mm. which is what it needed. It needed to be imbued with a genuine sense of like danger, but instead they're mm. sort of you can't really manufacture that though. Exactly. Well, then exactly that's my point. You know, mm. that's not a defense. That's 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 you know that reaffirms my point. Hmm. Is that you can't, you can't. But I didn't think it needed it. Like from, so well, yeah, our opinions differ on this song because I I don't think it needs anything else. I think it, it sounded great as it is. But well, it sounds great as it look, is. I know it's a song they clearly love playing live. They clearly love it. I'm curious to know how many fans love it. But, you know, for me, it's another song that's been overplayed because my God, 
They've played this so many I times. I don't remember hearing it live. Really? Apart from once. Jeez. Well, when we went to see Marbles. They play it a lot. Really? Um, and every time it comes on, because oh, they're clearly having a, a ball mm. whenever they play it. They, they love it. But I don't know. It's just too polished. It's too restrained. I don't buy H's vocals on it. He's doing that thing where he's, it feels like he's doing an impression of someone else. And instead of them being themselves, mm. it, it's a song where it feels like they're, they're copying other people or trying to sound like other people and falling short. So no, I don't like it. I don't. And and it's it's the inauthenticity that is the real reason I don't like it. But great, you know, they had fun doing it, whatever. Uh <laughs> I mean, okay, my personal opinion, I dare say that it's a song based on something that really happened. Right. Well, let me... So I think there is authenticity there. Lyrically, yes, lyrically, yeah. But let me let me read out what Dave Megan says about the making of the song. All right. Again, from the, the Web UK. Um, he said, it was funny because the band never got to hear that one before it was mastered. It was one I could never get my head around. I could never understand what the point of it was. Interesting. Uh, it was such a surreal and psychedelic lyric and I tried forever and ever and Steve Hogarth kept going off and doing demos of it and I was sort of, meh, still don't get it. And then he did one that was touching on glam rock and suddenly it was beginning to make sense. And I said, you've got to go further. Go along this line and see what you come up with. And he just got more extreme with it. He brought it in and we got his original demo and got the band to play along with it. Then people were getting madder and madder with what they were doing. And I said, well, forget any kind of arrangement. Let's just play whatever you want on each take, but with one condition. You don't repeat what you did on a previous take. So everyone just jammed along with this original demo. And each time I give them less and less of the original demo, apart from the vocal. And people just kept doing newer and more extreme things. Then one day towards the end of the album, I locked myself away and thought, I've just put all these pieces together as mad as I can possibly make it, just as the words all sound like they're chopped out of different stories and make the whole thing change constantly so that no one thing ever repeats. I did all that, then played it to the band, and they didn't even know what song it was. They had no memory of even doing it. I think it's a great result. There's not a lot of songs you can do like that. It's just chopped together like a scrapbook or something, but it had to be for those sort of words. If you tried to contrive it, it would have been, oh, you're trying to sound like the Beatles, <laughs> but it's not really trying to be like that. It's just lots of madness. English madness is what it is, really. So he's, he's defending it. Yeah. I mean, but I, I'm sorry, it still sounds contrived to me. It still sounds like someone trying to sound like the Beatles or, or early Floyd. Um, and that maybe, maybe it's a consequence rather than of the band. Well, yeah, maybe it's Megan's doing because maybe Megan pushed them out of their comfort zone with it. Mm. And yes, okay, they've gone more extreme, more mad, but how mad can Meridian get? You know, how... <laughs> you think they're too sane for madness? Well, they're too technical for madness, I think. Mm. which is what the, the miracle of the Marbles album well, all, is. All of them, not oh. H. Well, I think maybe, yeah. Really? Um, oh, okay. And and maybe then it's, it's a problem of the, it's the one track on there that perhaps Megan, I don't know, let the side down because he then had to produce it and produced it and it sounded so too do you, polished. Do you think it was because Megan was kind of going against himself? He didn't really want 
to include it because he didn't see the point of it. Well, he said but it's he was a great kind of result, but <laughs> bullied into it. Yeah, I mean, I like it, so I don't know why I'm saying that. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's just me. Mm. Maybe I'm at odds. I'm really curious to know what other people think of it because I don't really have a sense of how the fan base feel about it. I always assumed that people didn't like it, but I think that was because you didn't like it. Mm. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, I can't remember what our mates said. Maybe they agreed with you. Uh, and that's why I had this assumption that in general people didn't like it. And then I listened to it and went, oh, it's great. Mm. Hmm. All right. What do you want to say what I think it's about? Yeah. Uh, yeah, as you said, I think Drilling Holes is basically the Mad Hatter's Tea Party in song version. It's uh, it, it, it sounds like a day where someone was on an acid trip. And it's another one of their lighthearted songs recounting probably a day that did happen, maybe not exactly as the song goes on, but I'm sure, like I, I've described it as a kind of like lava lamp day where time nothing seems to exist in solid form and time just seems to liquefy and all the hours just kind of blend into each other and so everything seems weird and it's yeah just one of those crazy whimsical was a good word that you put on it that you um mentioned earlier yeah one of those whimsical lava lamp days where events are strangely juxtaposed with each other the day of non sequiturs where you have a man coming to drill holes a woman coming to help in the kitchen a picnic you have a nap someone wears plastic another person has funny shoes was it the same person <laughs> i don't know like literally it's man a had his about tea someone wearing funny <laughs> shoes had his tea party in song form well, yeah. But yeah. how does that fit in with... Okay, so now, as we were talking about Angelina and the loneliness, I was thinking, well, then how does Drilling Holes fit in with the album? And I'm going to shoehorn it in by saying, if it's, again, on the theme of loneliness, someone that's so not at home with themselves that they will drive themselves to distraction through acid trips or whatever. Mm. Because they just can't just be with themselves sober. Well. But that's shoehorning, so just ignore everything I said there. I don't know if it does fit with the concept. We It would be shoehorning, I think, yeah. in order for us to do it. It, it is, you're absolutely right. It's, it's based upon, I think, if I'm right, because I couldn't find the quote, uh, when they were recording Season's End, and it, it's meant to just capture the feeling of that time, which was, you know, I think they loved recording Season's End. They had a great time. They went to go to a big manor house and, you know, it was long, hot, sunny days sitting around the pool. and Oh, and, and then just like weird things happened. Yeah, I think there was a sort of element of surrealism and... and That's the word, uh, surreal. Hedonism and, you know, c craziness. Mm. The, the line in it, the key line was actually someone, um, he, he talks about this on his podcast, about how, I can't remember, someone at the racket club or something said, oh, a man came to drill holes in the afternoon. And at H, it was H that fired back, apparently, you know, oh, and I imagine by the evening, most of the afternoon was gone. But apparently this went right over the guy's head. Uh. <laughs> Whoever it was, I can't remember fully. but uh, But there isn't much more to it than that. 
Mm. Um, it's a fun song. An interview that Fraser Marshall himself conducted for mm. the Web UK, H said, you get to the point where you really feel the need to write something goofy and daft because it makes such a bloody refreshing change, which is why I wrote Drilling Holes on Marbles. I just wanted something that was quite the opposite of all that intimate stuff and mm. was just whimsical. And that doesn't mean to say that it's not true because it's constructed from real memories, but there's nothing tragic about it, nothing deep about it. It was just a bit of fun. There you go. Yeah. Oh, I take out my shoehorn then. I knew it didn't fit. There you go. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you just need to not be deep. I mean, I don't. Sometimes you just need to blow off steam. Yeah. And I don't mind it being on the album, even though I'm not a big fan of it. Oh. Uh yeah, the one song I would take off the album is Don't Hurt Yourself. Oh, stop that. <laughs> well, Love Don't Hurt Yourself. Uh, that's just mediocre. At least this is trying. Make up your mind. It's trying. Yeah, but you didn't like the trying. No, I don't think it's a successful attempt. I'd rather they attempted something than Wow. Not. Just drilling holes is just like... Bleh, bleh. Beige. No, you mean don't no, hurt yourself. No, don't hurt yourself. It's just beige. So, yeah. <sighs> anyway, shall we move on to the last song? Yes, the last song and what some people would describe as Marillion's best song. Ooh. Neverland. So it's a lot of people's favourite. More than Invisible Man. I what think- do you think... If we were to do a poll of every Marillion fan that ever existed... <laughs> Between these two songs, so right. you could only choose between Neverland and Invisible Man, which song would have the more votes? Neverland. Really? Yeah, because that that has happened. It has been voted number one. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I love Neverland. <laughs> yes, I love Neverland. Look, I'm going to preface this by preface, preface, preface. Pre- Preface. <laughs> Don't know how to say it. My brain's preface. Preface it by saying preface. It's a, it's a similar song for me, like Out of This World and King that mm. I used to love, but I have become very bored of because oh. of how often I've heard it live. And I don't know. It's silly, really, because what? How often do I see them live? You know, tops a couple of times a year, mm. but it. Uh, so, I don't know. It, uh, I'll get on to the song, what I really think of it. But it, it, I just, my issue with it is it's too long. I've always said this, even originally, I've always said it's too long. The second half just, it it, it takes off midway through the song. And that second half doesn't go anywhere. It just plateaus. It's great and it's beautiful and everything that is that's there is amazing. But that second half, yes, lovely solo, blah, blah, blah. H doing his repeating thing. Amazing chords. What, what are you putting H the doing his repeating well, thing. Well, yeah, he does. You know what I mean. Yeah, but it's just the way you said it. Okay, H imitating an echo. How would you like me to... Is that better? That's better, is it? Yeah. Okay, great. Good. Thank you. You gave me that's better. That's lovely. So it's poetic. Praise. Lovely. Uh, <laughs> um, it, uh, yeah, it just, I get, I don't know. If I feel if they sh- had taken three or four minutes off it, I would 
I think it would be a more successful song. And I know this is freaking heresy because I know people think it's Meridian's best song. But for me, it's slightly too long. And sometimes live, it it feels like it's just going on forever. Whereas something like Ocean Cloud from maybe in Invisible Man take you on such a journey. They earn their length. And Neverland for me has never earned its length. Oh, that's sad. Is that sad, is it? Yeah. Now that said... What is there is brilliant. It is brilliant. It is so emotional. Musically, it's all the band on top form. Is mm. H doing what he does at the absolute pinnacle of doing it? Mm-hmm. He is heartbreaking on this song. And similarly, Rothers is heartbreaking on this song. They are... They are fantastic on this. And it's, I remember the first time I heard it, I actually thought, wow, this doesn't sound like Marillion because it's so sort of grown up and mature. I remember thinking that at the time. It, this is like grown up. Mm. It doesn't sound like Marillion. It sounds like it's someone else has written this. What do this. you mean by that? You don't view their music as grown I up? I know, it's weird, isn't it? Well, can you explain no, I, I can't. what that means? I can't. It sounds like, oh, God, I'm going to have to watch myself here. It sounds, oh... Just say know. it and then... It sounds like a song. It sounds like a song written by someone like Elton John or someone that, that you know, some one of those kind of world... And I'm not saying, you know, I love Marillion more than Elton John. I love Marillion more than, I don't know, U2 or any of those bands. Mm. But it, it sounds like one of those songs that have all, it's almost been custom written to, like, be heard around the world. Yeah, like one of those worldwide classics. Yeah. It was hearing that it, it everyone like, knows in every exactly. country. Yeah. And it's a shame mm. that not everyone does. Maybe they would have done if they cut four minutes out of it. Wow. I, I'm serious. I think it help, holds it back. If they'd released this as a single, mm. if they'd been able to kind of be more concise with it and release it as a single, it might have been a, as big a hit as Kaylee. Have you tried listening to it? By cutting out four minutes. No, because I'm no, because I haven't. I got don't. The I've never stem. felt. I've never ever felt it overstaying its welcome ever. Mm. I think it's the right length it's meant to be. I know. Look, I know that for the, the emotion of the song. I know that's the argument for it, mm. and I know I'm absolutely in the minority here. But I have always thought it, and I'm sticking to my guns, regardless of what I, I think, and regardless of the fact that. I'm clearly in the minority, clearly in the minority. Uh, it, it, it's very obviously a, a, a stunning song. It is. It's That's not my favourite sure. on the album. I prefer in terms of, uh, you know, I prefer Invisible Man because that's my favourite Marillion song. I probably prefer Ocean Cloud. Oh, interesting. Um, but, yeah, it's it's brilliant. I might even prefer the only unforgivable thing. <laughs> but, but Oh, really? Look, this is an album of great songs. It is, you yeah. Know, it, there are a lot of epics on this album. There are a lot of epics on there. But and, would you do? You, would you say that because you just you feel it's been overplayed or did you always think, feel that you would prefer I've all, those I other songs? I always liked it. Weirdly, because they released um, – was that one of the Christmas fan club CDs – they released the version that they played at, um, at one of the Meridian weekends the year or so before the album came out. And I think I preferred that one. because when was... I, Again, it was a bit more, it was just a little bit more raw, a bit less right. polished. Mm. 
Um, and, you know, obviously they were still working on it. Mm. And it worked in its favour for me. Mm. But it, but so there was an element, it was a bit like uh, This Town, when I'd heard the demo version of This Town on the Stoke Road to Ipanema video and preferred that yeah. to the eventual version. And it was a bit like that with Neverland. And I never, I think, quite got over my disappointment. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so every time you hear it, you are comparing it to that original maybe on a subconscious level that you heard yeah maybe on some subconscious level i am mm. but you know what can we do we're wired however we're wired yeah. but regardless it's another thing i love about it again we come back to come back to what's good about it is the is megan yet again capturing the emotion you know this is a song we sort of obviously references Peter Pan quite a lot and it feels like you're flying. Mm, yeah, it really does. Yeah, if it, it soars. It as a does. Song and yeah. Where, you know, it takes off that that bit in the middle where it literally takes it sounds like that's okay, flying out the kitchen window. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So clever how they do that. It's genius. I, I will never understand how that's done. It's genius. But we'll admire it. We will admire yeah, it. Yeah, I love it. And I love like I feel it has a really um cinematic widescreen sound if that's yeah if you get what i mean it's big it's big music yeah there's almost even like a there's a flute bit in it that that almost gives it a sci-fi feeling as well keyboards it's probably keyboards yeah let's face it um but it it does it does feel like someone's flying and discovering new worlds and exploring and i love how every instrument is given equal importance yeah. in it it's it's one of and those and i think that adds yeah. to the epic feeling it's one of those great band songs yeah. really and do where they're all contributing equally they're all showcased they're all center stage i can imagine it being sung in a church cuz there's almost a religious soulful spirit to it i can see that yeah. and again i thought the only unforgivable thing had that quality yeah too. so maybe it's a maybe it's a theme from marbles like there's a kind of spiritual religiousy well it is quite a spiritual album in the sense yes. of it it's someone pouring their heart out soul searching trying to connect with their soul reconnect rediscover themselves it's an incredible emotional their spirit. album. And this is yeah. the emotional peak of the album mm. and comes at the right place. Yeah. You know, there was a, there's only one song out of all those songs that could have finished this album and it is Neverland. And it's the perfect bookend to Invisible Man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's so oh, It's the perfect bookend to the album with Invisible Man is mm. what I meant to say. Yeah. Stunning. So what I will say, well, let no, before we get on to the lyrics. Okay. Uh, let me read Megan's stuff about it. He said, um, Steve, that's Steve H, used to explain a lot to me, especially with the first page of Peter Pan, which I've actually got here. Oh. Um, well, we'll read what Megan says. It's worth reading the first page. There's a lot more to say than you realise. It's actually a bit more than a first page, but it's a lot deeper and confused. It's just a great journey and it's just a great story to write about because it's just the story of Peter Pan, but it also applies to so many other things. So do you want to read a bit of Peter mm. Pan to you? Uh, well, it starts, all children except one grow up. They soon know that they will grow up and the way Wendy knew this. 
One day, when she was two years old, she was playing in a garden and she plucked another flower and ran with it to her mother. I suppose she must have looked rather delightful, for Mrs. Darling put her hand to her heart and cried, Oh, why can't you remain like this forever? That was all that passed between them on the subject, but henceforth, Wendy knew that she must grow up. You always know after your two. Two is the beginning of the end. <laughs> okay. Wow. You laughed at that. All right. <laughs> because it's so dark. Like two yeah. is, at age two, that's the beginning of the end. Of course, they lived at 14 until Wendy came, to, came. Her mother was the chief one. She was a lovely lady with a romantic mind and such a sweet mocking mouth. A romantic mind was like the tiny boxes, one within each other, that come from the puzzling east. However many, you, however many you discover, there is always one more, and her sweet mocking mouth had one kiss on it that Wendy could never get. Hang on, stop. What's a sweet mocking mouth? That sounds like, you know, she's trying to make okay, fun of them or let, something. My love, right? I'm trying to read. It, it's actually, I think, some the most beautiful piece of writing... You're laughing at it. You're oh, interrupting me. No, it is me. beautiful. It's an amazing piece of it writing. It is beautiful. This. I agree, but I want to know what mocking mouth means. I'm just going to ignore you. Right. Okay. Her romantic mind was like the tiny boxes, one within the other, that come from the puzzling east. However many you discover, there is always one more, and her sweet mocking mouth had one kiss on it that Wendy could never get. Though there it was, perfectly conspicuous in the right-hand corner. The way Miss... Mr. Darling won her was this. The many gentlemen who had been boys when she was a girl discovered simultaneously that they loved her and they all ran to her house to propose to her except Mr. Darling who took a cab and nipped in first and so he got her. He got all of her except the innermost box and the kiss. He never knew about the box and in time he gave up trying for the kiss. Wendy thought Napoleon could have got it but I can picture him trying and then going off in a passion slamming the door. Okay, you look you look so confused. No, I'm listening. Mr. Darling used to boast to Wendy that her mother not only loved him, but respected him. He was one of those deep ones who know about stocks and shares. Of course, no one really knows, but he's quite seemed to know. And often he said stocks were up and shares were down in a way that would have made any woman respect him. You look really confused. I'm not confused. I'm, I'm listening and connecting it to the song. Look, anyway. Don't go, look at it, my face. <laughs> It goes on then, Mr. Darling and Mrs. Darling have money troubles. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I hate this book already. Yeah. Uh, and how Wendy was another mouth to feed and how... Oh, uh, it's depressing. Yeah, but you don't think of Peter Pan like that about the domestic side of it. You think it's a bunch of kids who fly off to Neverland, Never Neverland mm. um, and have adventures with captain hook and pirates and things but it's got this really grown up opening mm. about the parents sort of struggling with money and her mother having this side of her that she keeps hidden that's what mm. it means i think with the kiss that yeah, that yeah. wendy and mr darling could never get which you know that is clearly something that h it's a theme isn't it that yeah, he's talked so about that on this album to. yeah um you know that Look at the de- lyrics of Genie and the damage. You know the, the, the stuff under the on the bottom shelf. That anyway, I think I think that's fascinating mm. that he chose to, and it's clearly as well uh, a book or an idea that he's had around uh, for a while. Because I think was it Afraid of Sunlight had the working title or one of the working titles for it was Wear Your Gun to Neverland. Um, oh. I think. Because I'd certainly heard Neverland mentioned in relation to Marillion. 
So it's a story before. that he really feels connected. Clearly, or at with. least those first pages. So let me go, let me carry on with what Megan said. It was a difficult one to come up with because musically he was always based around four chords, but we could never find the right order or variation or combination of these chords to make it work without it sounding wrong. Suddenly it would just die on itself. But eventually we got it and it was originally called Huge Idea and we got it working. And Rotheries did such a wonderful job on one take that it basically set the map. We used a lot of it, but it also set the map for how the ending is. That follows on from how Steve had structured it in his head and it just gave Steve Hogarth the space to put vocals on all on it, all within that shape, repeating the words on it, doing it for real. So it was all mapped by what Steve had done, but I think it was frustrating for him in the end because I think he would have liked to have gone back and changed things and built bits. I think this is Steve Rothery he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, it sounds like it. But he'd done it so wonderfully in the first place that I said, you can do whatever you want to, but you ain't changing this. You can kill me first. Wait, who said that? Dave Megan. Megan to Rothery. <laughs> oh God, those two. Even just how he uses a delay. He did nothing and just left the delays. It's difficult to do and not everyone can do it, but he does it so naturally that you should just leave it like that. So there we go. Uh, and then... Um, Mika carries on saying, it's so emotional. It's just the notes, but only guitar legends can do that, really. Usually it's left for a singer to hit those emotions. It's very hard for a pure musical thing to do it. But if Rothery wants to do it, he can go straight for the heart just as easily as Hogarth can. That's true. Yeah. That's actually true. I was going to say, I wonder if he's like an extremely sensitive guy. I get the sense that he is. I mean, like he might be quite really closed sensitive. off, but actually there's a lot Yeah, but on. maybe he's closed off because he's so sensitive. Yeah. So he says, uh, it's just such an epic journey, but it's warming. You're not left feeling cold at the end of it. That's so true. It's very reassuring, mm. and that's what's great about it and what's totally selfish about it. Sorry, girls, but you might not get all of this one. Men nowadays do have hearts and are quite able to admit it, and Hogarth is one of the first to fly the flag. I mean, I'm not sure about that, but... There we go. Well, you're not sure that men have hearts, Paul? No, I'm not sure <laughs> that Steve Hogarth is the first man to talk, sing about his feelings. But <laughs> uh, No, but I think he means Steve... Oh, sorry, that's going to get confusing. I think he means H isn't afraid to express that vulnerable side of him. No, he isn't. I mean, he's written about some, you know, stuff that certainly no one's ever written about before. I mean, I think of The Sky Above the Rain mm. is a good example of a, a really brave song to write about. A really brave subject to write about, sorry. Um, do you see it? It's strange because he talks about this a lot, Megan, in relation to this album, about it being a very male album. Yeah, he does. Have I ever... Did I experience it as a male album? It wasn't the first thing that came to mind. Um, I think even musically, like if I'm thinking not in terms of gender, but in terms of feminine and masculine energy... I wouldn't, I would call it quite balanced mm. uh, because there's a lot of feminine energy in there. If he's talking about it in terms of what it's like to be a man, I can't speak on that because I'm not a man and never have been. So in this lifetime, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I just find it but really... I didn't feel excluded. No. As a female, I didn't feel excluded. I felt it was. Instead of being a male album, I felt it was a deeply personal album. That's it. I, and I always felt album. that. It's a very, but at the same time, it's H. I always felt with this very connected to it and Neverland, even though I, you know, I have these slight reservations about it. Lyrically, I felt very connected to it. 
at the time. I think I've mentioned this before, the whole repeated, you know, I want to be someone who someone would want to be. Mm. I used to say that to myself when I'd be lying in bed at night, you know, mm. uh, when I was, God, yeah, doing what he does in the song, you know, in the dark alone. Um, when I didn't like myself particularly and I didn't, and I felt beaten down by life and twisted by life. You know, I I held this song up as a um held this song up as a sort of almost beacon of hope, you know, at least something to aim for, a target, you know, to be someone somewhat not to be someone that someone would want to be, be someone that I would want to be. And mm-hmm. I, I mean I think I got there. And, you know, I like, I, you know, I love who I am now, you know, and that's a lovely thing to say because there were points where I didn't. Um, and so I felt very connected to this album. So I, so I always, but again, I am a man. So yeah. I can't say Did- whether that I feel connected because I'm male or whether connected because I had some similar life experiences to H and have been through some similar things. And, you know, I'd gone through a, a similarly difficult time personally as he as he did uh, or whether it's because the themes are actually more universal than Dave Megan realizes mm. I don't know so you didn't relate to it as in oh here's a man who understands my experience as a man no uh, you know and at the same time I've always been quite hard on my sleeve I've never felt you know even when I've been in relationships where I wasn't allowed to express my emotions I always tried to, uh, you know, and it wasn't something that was particularly rewarded growing up. You know, I was any big emotions I wasn't really allowed to have, but I still had them regardless. And I was always very aware of them and always very in touch, I think, with how I was feeling. Um, yeah, which is why it was when I met you, it, it was such a relief because he was someone who wanted to talk about feelings, who wanted to, you know, you're my Dave Megan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, someone who gave me permission. I take that as high praise. You uh, gave me permission to feel the things I was already feeling. Mm. So I didn't feel like I had to bottle things up. And, you know, that act of catharsis and that act of expressing what you're feeling and being allowed to and having it received... Yes. That is healing. And, yeah. uh, you know, I hope, I, I you know, I, I wonder and I hope whether the, the process of making this album and uh, for H and H having someone like Megan there as a as someone to confide in, as someone who would accept his his feelings and accept that and allow them. I feel like. Uh, whether, it was, whether it was healing for him too. Yeah, I'm getting visions of Dave. I'm not saying this to be funny, but I'm getting visions of Dave Megan in uh, as Dave Megan's role in the creation of this album as kind of like this wise wizard or like Dumbledore training the younger <laughs> wizard to embrace his powers and his magic. <laughs> that wasn't meant to be funny. Okay, like I actually funny. mean it. Like it's quite funny. Oh, it wasn't meant to be. Oh, well, no, nor was the first page of Peter Pan. Yet you laughed over no, that. No, I laughed. <laughs> yeah, you know. I laughed at, like, it all ends at two, everyone. Like, just give up your hopes and dreams at two years old. That's what I laughed at. It's like, wow, not even, not even waiting until they're, like, in their 20s or something at two. Yeah, anyway. Um, I mean, do we want, yeah, I suppose we want to talk about what it's about, don't we? I'd like to. Um, you know, I mean, I'd I know like what to, it, I know like what it to, means to me. Yeah, and 
I don't want, you know, don't want to take that away from you. I just want to talk about like how, how I experienced the song. Um, and I felt it was an, yet another gorgeously profound love song on this album. And I love the way it kind of mirrors your God and invisible man, but from an opposite perspective. Um, so again, it is the perfect bookend to the album with invisible man because it's, it's mirror image. So it begins in the middle of the shadow zone of your gone when he's in the darkness when darkness takes me over face down emptier than zero zero invisible so again we have invisible you come to me quietly stay beside me whisper to me here i am and the loneliness fades so i just thought wow that's that's such a lovely contrast to invisible man where in this instance he's not the disembodied one the invis and the invisible presence is coming to him, and in this instance, the invisibleness is a comforting. It's a source of comfort. He isn't alone. Mm. There was also like I'm, I'm just linking again to Invisible Man. So in Invisible Man, he sings things like "I shout my name in public places. No one seems to notice. No one understands." He stands in the middle of the road, but the cars don't swerve. He was an invisible heart beating against you. He pleads for you to talk to him. Talk to me, acknowledge me, confide in me, confess to me, or leave me be. So we've got that that lonely place, which then continues through Unforgivable Thing, continues through Fantastic Place, that that loneliness where he's just yearning to be seen and to be understood, mm. yearning for like some sort of deep soul connection. Oh, I've written something, but it's going to ruin the mood, so I won't say it. Go on. No, I was saying yearning for that deep soul connection, and then I wrote, or maybe it's the low down, deep down, primal, truthful self <laughs> from the bottom shelf of the damage. That's all right. That doesn't okay. ruin the mood. All right. Um, and then in, and then in Neverland, so f he's gone through this journey through darkness and shadows, through being alone, through not feeling received, through not feeling seen, through feeling disembodied and hollow and like a disembodied voice. And then he finds himself in Neverland where he's like, he realizes that he's not hollow. He's, he says, you provide the soul, the spark that drives me on, makes me something more than flesh and bone. All these years, truth in front of my eyes, while I denied what my heart knows was right. Like he's, he's got this love that fills him. He's filled with this love and that gives him the spark and the fire to be able to fly. Mm, um, nice. So it's like he's realising after all this time that he was never alone and he was never invisible. This whole time he's been carrying this love and light inside him. It, it, it's almost like it's a reconciliation song. And finding that, that, finding that love within him inspires him to be the best version of himself yeah. it's like a reason it's not like well what's the point of doing anything like what's the point yeah. i'm invisible and empty like who cares no it's given him it's given him a light to reach 
and it's given him and how I've described it is like through Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is like a pyramid, which says first you need your most basic needs met, which is the bottom of the pyramid. You know, Food, you know someone shelter. was talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs on the train the other day behind us. I, can't, I, I, I nudged your leg. Oh, the two guys that were talking yeah, about yeah. the stock market and um, NFTs and stuff. Yeah, they were also talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted uh, you. Yeah, I thought, I thought I heard them mention something like that. But it's almost like, yeah, so the bottom layer of the pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is food, shelter, water, blah, blah, blah. And it's like on this journey we've been through with age, once his need to exist is fulfilled, he moves on to the next tier where he's needed, where he needs to be heard and understood. Maybe not heard because he always talks about disembodied voices. No, well, yeah, heard as in you can be a disembodied voice and not be actually listened to. So listened to rather than just heard. Once the need to be seen and understood and received, like really seen for who he is and received and receive empathy, once that has been fulfilled, he moves on to the next level, which is now I would like to reach for being someone who I can be proud of. And then there's like another layer where he's imploring whoever he's talking to for them to let go and to set them and to be set free, to forget their responsibilities for a while, you know, like the TikTok, TikTok, mm. and let them to be themselves again and to dream again. Because it sounds like whoever he's reconciling with, whoever he's singing to, that maybe they've also given up their stars in the sky, like he did in The Only Unforgivable Thing, or like he sang about in The Only Unforgivable Thing, and that he would like them to let go of that, kitchen and the daily responsibilities again remember the stars and sky again reach for them again because if they can fly then he can fly with them mm. does that any of that make sense yes, in english and you're actually spot on that's pretty much what it's about oh, okay cool. um i haven't got a lot more to add beyond it i think you're absolutely right that it's a song of reconciliation or at least him acknowledging what his wife had, had given him Mm. The love that she had stuck by him yeah. through some less than great behaviour, perhaps, on his part. Because the first part, apparently, he wrote for Dizzy Spell, as he called his first wife, Sue. Um, he wrote it for her, so that sense of her being tethered to the kitchen sink, mm. the, you know, the Peter Pan, the domestic troubles and stuff, while he was off elsewhere. Yeah. Um and then the second half of the song apparently is is about guilt again oh. and the shame. Which seems to tether him down. Well, yeah, it certainly brings him down, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, there's, it it's, there's a lot of self-loathing in the song, mm. but also a lot of love and a lot of regret. Uh, and again, wanting to escape from this domestic life. Yeah, and, golly. Um, it's like, <laughs> dude, we know. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think lyrically, lyrically and emotionally, it's an absolute powerhouse of a song. And it, it ties back in with so many other themes of not just this album, but other songs that he's, he's written. It really does. Um, yeah. And I think it's him, it, it's, it's an acknowledgement of 
perhaps fucking up in a relationship and that the other person may not have deserved that. And, mm. you know, I mean, just, it, but lyrically as well, it's, it's not a complicated lyric, mm. it, but it's a really effective one. You know, even the, the when the darkness takes me over, face down, empty and the zero, invisible, you come to me quietly. Stay beside me, whisper to me, here I am, and the loneliness fades. I mean, that's just gorgeous. Mm. And, the, and then it's like, I don't know if that's what he's longing for or that's what happened. Because at first I was like, oh, how sweet, that's what happened. And then I was like, no, maybe that's really sad because that's what he's saying he needs. Mm. Look, And he might not be getting it. We're never going to know fully. Uh, but I can read you a quote from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, thanks, Fraser, for putting this on your website. So he said, I wrote the first part for Dizzy Spell. Uh, that's his first wife. It's a way of saying that when someone's given you so much love over such a long time, it sits inside you. It's like a little power plant. It drives you on and warms you up. The most beautiful thing about being in love or having a long-term partner is having somewhere to go when push comes to shove, you know, thick or thin for better or worse and all that. You know, if you're lucky enough to have a long-term partner that's like that. Not one that just makes you feel more lonely. And that's what love should be about. It should be unconditional. It's its own reward. And it's about it being obvious too. And it being inside you and enabling you to function. Saying, I want to be someone who someone would want to be is about guilt. It's about shame. It's about wanting to make amends and have peace of mind. From the outside, I suppose some people might think of me as successful and someone to be envied. And in a way I am, but in another way, I'm by no means a complete person. And sometimes I still feel like I'd like to be someone I liked, someone I could be totally proud of. The second half is about escape. It's about the process of escape, the desire to escape, the possibility of escape, the value of at least having the idea that you can escape. Even if you never leave the cage, it's good to know that the door is open. Oh, he, that, that wow. theme of the cage. <laughs> the cage, I know. It keeps Chains, returning. The cage. Mm. Um, but I, I would like to say, you know, I feel, I feel compassion for him sort of saying, I want to be, you know, it's about guilt. I want to be someone who someone would want to be. But it's like, yeah, but if you look at that hierarchy of needs, how could you reach that place until you had those other needs met? Yeah. How could you want to be someone who you're proud of until the pain of not feeling the pain of the loneliness that he was feeling before well, yeah, you can't, was healed? You, you you can't self-actualize. You can't reach your full potential you can't be whole, you know, and grow towards the light. If, you can't even want if, to. No, if the soil you're in isn't healthy. Yeah, and you're just battling to survive from day to day. You yeah. can't even have the thought of that because it's just, I've got to get through this day. Yeah, yeah. So, hell of a lyric, uh, one that I could really relate to at the time, uh, one that I carried around with me for a long time as a, as, as that objective really and also it was a song um it was a it, it's probably the most telling song about him that i think he's ever written because that sense of of you know you, you yeah you you have a tendency i think or people we have a tendency to look at those people we admire and people in the public eye or whatever and think they've got their shit together and I'd like to be like that, but him admitting 
that sense of slight self-loathing and um, that he struggled as much as anyone. I mean, it, that made me feel less alone mm. at the time, uh, interestingly. So, you know, I really thank him for it, for that lyric and that honesty and that openness to, to share what he was experiencing because it came at the right time for me and it did definitely send me on a better path, uh, a happier path. Anyway, so that's Neverland. Yeah, I that's think it's marbles. A, the perfect way to end the it's, album, it the is. double album. It is because it's also it's uh there is an element of hope. Yeah, it, uh, it yeah, it's not a song that it's not a depressing song. It's not a song that at the end of it you're kind of like, "Oh." Yeah. Or even sad. It it there is there is a hopefulness to it. So by the time um the next album come out, it's split up with his wife. Oh no. <laughs> oh, no. So for all that, it didn't <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, but but we'll, you know, maybe that was his lesson to learn while he was with her. Yeah. And once he'd reached the place of Neverland, it was like that that circle had been closed, and he could mm. then move on to the next stage of of his, his journey. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Uh, overall, well, let's look. Let's. We've talked for a lot about these songs. Let's not wrap up the album until next week when we do our post bag. I think we, you know, I think we can do a little sort of summary of marbles, but you know, I, I, I will just say now side one for me is perfect. Disc one. Perfect. Mm. It's a perfect it album. It is. Absolutely. Uh, and the second disc for me is a bit patchier, but it's still brilliant. It's yeah, still brilliant. It is, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. I on wouldn't it. really, except maybe get rid of "Don't Hurt Yourself." But um, Paul, it's true. Yeah, oh. the only song that I really, that maybe I, I would remove, even though I like it, is "Drilling Holes," and that's just to keep the theme solid. Really? Yeah, oh. and it's not because I don't like "Drilling Holes." It's just I like, I like that conceptiness of of the album yeah. and I feel like Drilling Holes doesn't really fit thematically. Mm. I would say as well with the with the four marble sections, you know, one to four. Yes. They it is a I'm sorry, it is a concept album. It is conceptual mm. because it's so much about his life and it does feel like there is a journey that you Absolutely, go on. Absolutely for sure. One hundred percent. And because of the number of brilliant songs on this album because there are so many, not just good songs, but great songs on mm-hmm. there. The proper Marillion epics. Proper Marillion epics, and not just epics, but just classics. You know, even some of the shorter ones. I mean, I think You're Gone is one of the best pop songs they've ever written. Yeah. Uh, Genie is amazing. Then you've got underrated stuff like The Only Unforgivable Thing. Which yes, y- yeah. Yeah, which is, is, is a fantastic place. You know, even those smaller songs. Yeah, true, true. Are so good that it's, I'm saying it, it's their best album. It's their best album. They could play this from start to finish at every gig and you go, oh, that's their greatest hits. Yeah. You yeah, really absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's, you know, and I love some of those, you know, I love lots of their albums. You know, I love the new one. I think it's brilliant, but 
but it's a shorter album. So consequently, you know, it hasn't got as many great songs on there as this does. I think the fact that Marbles is so intensely personal takes it to another level. Yeah. So while I love, okay, I haven't listened to somewhere else yet, but I love the more recent albums. I really enjoy them. The fact that Marbles is, it's it's like its own little ecosystem. It's its own world. Mm. And that sets it apart. It's so personal. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the the more recent albums, they've got personal songs, but maybe it's not the whole album. Well, look, I think I think sounds that can't be made fear and an hour before it's dark. They're very much looking outwards. They're at more the world. global. You, yeah. Well, certainly, you know, you got Gaza on sounds and yes. then fear, fear and an hour before it's dark. They are they're they're songs that look outwards and. I love all three of those albums. I love Me too. all three. Me too. But by the same token, I do slightly miss the personal stuff mm. that he used to write. Yeah. You know, it's great. He obviously hasn't got as much going on, but I think he writes that stuff better than he does the global stuff. I find that stuff more affecting. The, the and, personal stuff. You yeah. Mean, yeah. And it stays with you longer. Yeah, it does. I find a lot more connected to that material. Mm. A lot more connected than, than when he's talking about world issues. So I hope, I hope you know, he hasn't stopped entirely because it is, um, it is what he does best. But anyway, let's talk about it a little bit more next week. So All that's right. it for this week. Thank um, you for sticking with us, everyone. Sorry this is a bit late. Uh, if you want to send us an email about marbles, I think we've had quite a few. We've had a few, week. yeah. If we do two weeks on it, we do two weeks on it. And our friend Pedantony hates the letters episode <laughs> and stick it up his trousers. Uh, so send us an email, beampod at gmail.com. We've not done a letters page in forever. So yeah, let's do two weeks if we get enough. And we're also going to wrap up the album next week. After that, um, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. We might be talking about, Le- might be time to talk about Leicester. Uh, we might have had them. Might, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're gearing up for that. The UK Meridian Weekend. Mm. Ah, I saw someone bought the Ampod t-shirt the other day. It'd be nice mm-hmm. if we saw it in the wild at, at Leicester, wouldn't it? Yeah. Hint, hint, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, that's it then. So subscribe, tell people about us, all the usual. Uh, you can check us out on Patreon. There'll be a bonus set up this week where we talk about the new Meridian video. Mm. Um, a friend, that's a yes. Friend of the Earth. A Friend of the Earth, is that what it's called? I can't remember. Friends of the Earth. Anyway, we talk about that on the bonus episode on Patreon. So www.patreon.com slash Mr. Biffo. That's it then for this week. I'm going to go and edit this now. Yeehaw. Quickly. As quick as I can. Do it. Right. Everyone, we'll talk to you next week. See you next week. Be safe. Be good. Behave. Bye-bye. Bye.